Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 441, the best of Simone Luciani. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we are back and we are talking about one of the greatest modern board game designers that's out there. Simone Luciani, Anthony, you happen to be a, f- a fan, would you say? Yes, yes, I am a fan. I own <gasps> every game we're going to talk about today. Ooh. So I, I love when we do these top tens and we're like, oh, we have to put them in order. And I'm like, well, I own all of them, so I guess they're all buys. <laughs> so which one would I rather play right now, I guess? I don't know. And to be fair, he's only, I guess, depending on, because these, these are the games that he's produced, and we'll talk about this in our feature partnerships he's only had one other game that is not on this list so you have to listen to that (laughs) that is true you're gonna it'll be it'll come down to like why did this one game not make the list um there's actually a second one too but it's like a a spin-off of one of these it's true uh and and a third one that's coming in the next year yeah so yeah well we'll certainly get to those at some point later especially when that big hunking giant plastic monstrosity that was on kickstarter twice yeah eventually comes out hopefully we get a chance to play it regret that we did not back it because again two kickstarters they didn't know what they were doing they were trying to sell things and yeah shipping and all that other kind of fun stuff so we'll get to that when we get to that (laughs) but for today the feature review will be about these great games and the best of the best the top 10 so to speak so we have all that kind of fun stuff happening. So, Anthony, a lot of good stuff. Let's get into it. What are our friends talking out there? What's our question of the week? All right. So I asked people, and this, this is apropos because we're talking about a designer who has done uh, some board game sequels. In this age of board game sequels, has a new version or sequel truly killed an old game for you? So we've we've done episodes in the past about Games that kill their predecessors, like Caverna, does it kill Agricola? And the consensus was yes and no, depending on which of the two of us you ask. Uh, So there are conversations about this, but in particular, like these days, where it doesn't seem like there are as many new, amazing, outstanding ideas coming out. It's just a lot of iteration on existing materials, either new versions, new designs, new layouts, whatever. Are there games that are killing old versions? Right. So I asked all the listeners, what they thought. Um, Drew wrote in uh, over on the Patreon, where again, if you are a backer, you can enter our contest um, every couple of weeks. So tonight we will be picking one of the uh, question answers on Patreon or then the Discord uh, to win a game from our prize pool. So Drew says, uh, there have been many second editions of games that have replaced their predecessor, but it's uncommon for a sequel to accomplish this feat. Gaia Project really stands out as an improvement and sequel. So uh, Gaia Project is is one of mine, except I do still own Terra Mystica, so that's a, sure. a weird one for me. Um, Ryan says a lot of games have new art in production and are preferred over their originals. So mentions the newest Raw, Quest for El Dorado, the Castles of Burgundy Special Edition. Uh when a game looks and feels good, my friends and I are more likely to pick that one and enjoy it. Sure. Uh, games with tweaks to the original gameplay mechanics mm. uh, have generally been for the better, like those in Great Western Trail 2nd Edition, Isle of Trains All Aboard. And and then he also mentions the standalone sequel, 
Clank Catacombs. Ooh. Really enjoying that as uh, like additions and advancements beyond like what that original game was. Um, over in the Discord, Matthew says Ares Expedition. Superior art, more streamlined, less clunky, better artwork again. Simultaneously yes. turns. Did I mention the artwork? Uh, <laughs> the way the cards are set up makes it much easier to follow along with what your engine is doing as well. Also the artwork. The artwork. Yes, Matthew. The artwork. Yes. <laughs> I'm with you, Matthew, 100%. Yeah. Uh, over on the Facebook, we had a few other answers as well. So Willie mentions Libertalia, Winds of Galecrest. And how it kills Libertalia, but not in a good way. So specifically, the original was my wife's favorite game. She loves games with a pirate theme, and they are most often the only types of games she will ask to play. While we both like the mechanical changes to the game with the new version, she does not like the new one at all because it doesn't feel like pirates. She does not want to play the old version because some of the mechanisms which were updated feel outdated now. So now both versions of the game kind of just sit there. True. Very true. That is rough. Yes. if if you have a newer version that does it all better mechanically, but thematically you're not interested, that that does make it hard. You don't want to go back. True. Uh, Roman gives us a big list here of, of different ones for him. Um, Through the Ages, A New Story, Forbidden Desert over Forbidden Island, Gaia Project, which we talked about, uh, The Crew, Mission Deep Sea, which is mm-hmm. one I was going to mention, Pandemic Iberia, uh, Arkham Horror LCG over Lord of the Rings LCG. I would I would Ooh. argue with that one, but I know yeah. a lot of people feel that way. Um, and then Command and Colors Napoleonics over Command and Colors Ancients. That's a tricky one because there's like 400 Command and Colors games. So I don't, sure. I don't know that any one of them is. They're all iterating on each other. Uh, yeah, anything stand out for you as, as a game that kind of upgrades and moves beyond the, the original? There's so many. It's kind of hard to pick out a single. I mean, TI4, uh, yeah. Eclipse, second edition. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, anytime it's anytime when you have a lot of troops on the map, a lot of moving pieces, a, a tremendous amount of cards, and they, I mean, it's always there's innovations th- for the game. And then and I guess there's a whole separate category where there's games that when they get reprinted the expansion gets put into the original into the new box right so like class of cultures where we had our friend jeff on yeah i mean that's a new version right because obviously those things are better uh viticulture right the essential edition i don't think anyone wants to play the original edition on that so there's a lot i mean it's there's been a lot of discussion about this. I think in in recent days and weeks, because Dune Imperium Uprising, the new expansion slash standalone game, which is just, I mean, Dune Dune Imperium just came out a couple of years ago, and now they're rebooting it in a new base box because they want people to be able to, I guess, start from scratch or improve some things. So. It's hard for us out there to kind of conceive of like we have these games, but like there's a better version in the wings. But there is. There's a lot of games like that. <laughs> Seven yeah. Wonders, I think, is one of those too, which is just the new version, it's better. Just happens to be better. Yeah, it's it's tough because you want you want that iteration. You want to see yes. things improve. But if you own all the old stuff and they're like, Oh, there's yes. a new version and you need to buy the new version to get the new expansions that we're developing and all the new content, and none of it's compatible, 
that's fun, right? And you're like, no, it's not fun. That sucks. I'm upset about it. And I was at a game day not too long ago, and they were and someone was talking about Dune Imperium Uprising, and I said, "Oh, do you like you know? Are you a fan of Dune?" He's like, "Yeah, I own everything." And I was just like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, I own all the expansions, all the extra stuff. I own everything with it." I'm just like, "Then why would you buy this?" And he said, "Because it'll get people to the table." Like, yeah. And I was just like, oh, that was heartbreaking. Like, I felt it. Like, I felt a little crank. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. Yes, I guess it, it's, it's true. It And they know that, right? Yes. They know that that'll happen. Like, I, I picked up a copy of Ultimate Railroads eventually on sale. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to because I didn't want to support <laughs> what they did there. Sure. They're like, here's all this out-of-print content. We have changed the colors on some yes. of the components so that you yes. cannot mix and match. 100%. And if you want the newest expansion, this is the only way to get it. That's right. And I was very frustrated. It's one of my favorite games. Uh, and now I have it, and it has all the good content, and it still still annoys me. It does. To this day. It does. Uh, so, <laughs> anyways, uh, thanks everybody who wrote in. Lots of good answers. There are a lot of sequels out there. Some of them are great. Some of them are a little manipulative, but they're still sure. good. Um, our, our winner this week, Matthew Freeman, I will reach out and, uh, you can pick a game from our prize list, probably something with good artwork. I hope, uh, <laughs> thank you so much, everybody else who wrote in and, uh, stay tuned, uh, for future contests. If you are a Patreon backer, you can enter, you get free stuff, often games. All right. So that's, what's going on with everyone out there. Anthony, let's talk about the things that really matter. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders for this week. What do you have for us? All right, so my game is one that I guess was announced a few months ago, but has jumped up in the hotness recently uh, because it's on the Essen preview list, and that's Planta Nubo. So you are making a sky garden in a solar punk world. Okay. And honestly, like thematically, I'm not really sure what's going on here. It's like there's a big tree in the sky (laughs) and there's some airships. Who knows? (laughs) It just looks like nonsense. Yeah. But the designers caught my eyes because we've got Michael Keller, um, who didn't initially jump out at me, but Michael Keller worked on La Granja and Agra, um, Solarius Mission, along with Andreas Ode Odendal, who also worked on La Granja, um, and Uwe Rosenberg. So we have who? three people who've worked on a lot of... Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mention who he worked on. <laughs> uh, uh, Agricola and uh, okay. other good games. So Ooh. we have <laughs> you know, spicy take. <laughs> so in this game, you're growing flowers and plants in cloud gardens, right? And so you're and then delivering them to different airships that transport them to biomass converters to convert into green energy. Um, it's like some pick up and deliver elements with contract fulfillment. It's farming in the sky, effectively. So you have two, three designers who've worked on some very interesting and divergent styles of farming games and they're working together to make this sky garden game um it has polyominoes so already you know i'm on board chris is not uh (laughs) (laughs) you have you have contract tiles you have your own little personal player mat to keep track of all your resources as you like trade them back and forth it looks interesting um i don't know that they've given quite enough information here for me to know if this is going to be a win for me personally because there are three different flavors of Uwe Rosenberg game. One flavor I absolutely love, one I'm a little indifferent to, and the third I don't really enjoy. Um, so 
I don't know where this is going to fall. I also don't know who's the primary designer on this game is based on how they're listed. This could be like Michael Keller had a game and he knows these two guys who are really famous to help <laughs> him out. I don't know. Uh, not that Michael Keller hasn't worked on some good stuff. So I will keep my eye on it. We'll see what the initial reviews are. This has a vibe about it of, hey, it's a game and it's okay. It's a seven, right? Like Revive or a lot of those other Essen games from last year that ultimately didn't wow me. But I'm going to keep my eye on it because it could be interesting. Uh, Nubo, interesting theme, great artwork, and some really good designers working on it. So hopefully that means it comes together into a really cool final production. All right. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. So sp- speaking of good artwork or not, Matthew, you yeah. get me, right? Eh? Matthew? Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I know uh, where you're going. Kickstarter has a game you might be familiar with with not the best artwork or just just known for not the best artwork it's it's getting better it is getting better more terraforming mars <laughs> hold now hold on prelude 2 milestones and awards the automa solo experience seems a little redundant neoprene game boards and seasonal promos currently on kickstarter and i'll wrap up on friday september 22nd 2023 so i don't know anthony have have you ever heard of this thing called prelude <laughs> is this is this a thing this is a thing yeah prelude's thing. great prelude yeah. is awesome that is the one thing on here where i'm like yeah cool give me prelude and they're like no you cannot just have prelude you must have all this <laughs> other nonsense and it's really expensive and anyways go on yeah no I, I i remember hearing the announcement about this and i was just like prelude too and i'm just like can we please come up with a better name? Can we please? And then I'm like thinking about, it, I'm like, oh, this is the only expansion universally everyone loves. Like everyone yeah, is yeah. just 100% on board for this expansion. So, you know, again, I, I don't understand. I mean, this is not just board gaming. This is media. This is movies, television, stuff like that. I think they could think better of us that we could wrap our brain around this. But yes, it's called Prelude 2, Electric yeah. Boogaloo. No, it's called Prelude 2. And it's it's Prelude again with more of the Prelude stuff that you love. So more yep. corporations. There's five more corporations. 25 more Prelude cards. Love it. And then 24 project cards. And as Anthony said, that alone, awesome. I mean, it's a deck of cards in a giant box. And, you know, that's going to bug you. But again, it's the best type of expansion that they've ever come out with. But Anthony, you can't buy that alone. <laughs> so... You also no. <laughs> you also need to get the, obviously it comes with the promos here. You also need to get the milestones and award boards, and I guess in part maybe because the corporations and the prelude cards and the project cards might relate to the milestones. So, did you not have enough milestones and awards? There are thirty five milestones and thirty five awards. Again, diversity in gameplay, replayability, awesome. And then there's an Automa solo expansion. Now, Anthony, you've been known to play a game solo once in a while. Have you ever played Terraforming Mars solo? I have played it solo more than any other game solo. Uh, I've like a couple hundred times, and wow. I love it. I think it's because you're not playing against a bot. You are playing towards the goals that the game sets for you. Okay. I don't want a bot. Uh-oh. It adds complexity to the game, and it slows everything down so why did they do this i don't know <laughs> doesn't make and maybe this is great i don't know it's david turchy and nick shaw they make a lot of really good solo bots 
but I have zero interest in this. As the solo guy, there's a lot of games for which I would take an Automa. This is not one of them. I'm yeah. perfectly happy with the way you play solo now in Terraforming Mars. So is AI taking over board game, Anthony? Is that is that what's going on here? Uh, it seems like it. Yeah. If I don't know. Maybe David Turchie doesn't exist. Maybe he's like a <laughs> manifestation of ChatGPT. So uh, with the solo... Uh, expansion which is its own little box you get a triple layer board tracker six automa boards one venus next automa board one colony shipping board one neural instinct tile one final scoring reference card and a rule book here's the thing i love terraforming mars one of my favorite games of all time just like just crazy about it they just have to come up with an expansion just they ha- we just talked about this right there needs to be a new version of Terraform Mars, just like Dune Imperium Uprising, that just synthesizes the best of the games and puts it in a game because I just can't anymore. Like, I love Terraform Mars. I just can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> just can't. <laughs> no, it's it's so... And you know what? Like, the, the thing about Automas that people like, too, is that you don't necessarily just play them solo. You can sometimes, if you're playing a two-player game and you want a little more complexity on the map sure. you can have a third bot run by the, the sure. automa, right i don't do that so, but i'm not going to say it's a bad thing because i know a lot of people do especially like couples who generally play everything two players mm-hmm. i just don't know that this is a game that needs that i think it plays fine at two and i think it plays fine at one the way it is sure. i don't know why you need this extra stuff well uh, what you do need anthony is neoprene mats and no, you don't, no, you don't. <laughs> and you need three of them in a box. Yeah, no. All right, how about this? Four of them that they're new maps, but they only come in neoprene mats. Yeah, these aren't even like official these these are fan made. So <laughs> these have been on Board Game Geek for a year, two years. I, I can't remember exactly when they went up, but a fan made these. Fantastic. Good good for them. And you can you can print them out. They're still there. Like you can print everything out on if you get a big enough printer, and then you have these. You don't have to spend a hundred dollars on playmats. I don't, and who knows how much they've been play tested. I don't. It doesn't say on here. It doesn't even really mention that I can see if it maybe it's buried in small text that these are fan expansions that they went. I just, I just don't understand why they are doing this. It's yeah. cool for the fans who made them, but for the rest of us, it makes. If you just skim through this, it makes it look like, oh, there's four new maps. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And there are four new maps, but they're things that you could download for free right now. And you don't need to pay $109 for or whatever they're charging. Sure. Well, if you, again, and there's a lot of different levels to, to back here. So uh, bear with me here, because if you do want literally everything, uh, you're looking at $228. If you do want to go the opposite way and try to get the cheapest and probably the best, you know, version here, you probably want to look at the prelude too and, and the boards and the um the achievements, the milestone stuff. It's $29. Um the other side of this, of course, is this this has always been a challenge with you know stronghold games as far as charging. The shipping is really next level. So that's really where this again this breaks down because let's say for example you want the scout expedition which is $29 right and let's say you happen to be again depending where you live 
fortunate enough to live in the U.S. How much you think the shipping here is? Uh, seventy-five bucks. Yeah, I mean it's four hundred dollars. Who knows? Yeah, I mean it. It ranges, obviously. Again, depending on the situation, from anywhere from like twelve to fifty bucks. So, yeah, and then you know, again, there's challenges with this. Now that being said, it's it's almost about to hit a million dollars. So yeah. Terraforming Mars lives another day on Kickstarter with all the stuff. So if you got to get to the table, this is a good time. Again, I will definitely recommend Ares Expedition and the, the Terraforming Mars, the dice game, which are both excellent games and excellent versions of Terraforming Mars. Yeah, I'll be talking about the latter here in, in a couple minutes. All right. Uh, Maybe a little small suggestion, something that just popped up because again, I think it's it's pretty fun. Anthony, you and I have been talking about this just briefly. Civolution from Stefan Feld. Like evolution and civilization? Civilution? So <laughs> it's a game that's coming out. There's very little information out about it. There's just a description there. And you're a student and you're about to complete your final exam in the techno the technical academy of creation and you are creating a humanoid evolution world and trying to decide all the different possibilities from cultural to technical upgrades and evolutionary possibilities from wings to tribes to wheels to technologies to changing environments it's stefan feld it's claiming to be a medium heavy to heavy Euro game that utilizes a dice selection mechanic to trigger actions on a tree-like tech tree uh, as you figure out how to best use your dice and put your unique cards into play. Tons of strategies and paths of victory emerge each time you play. You will explore a new uh, fraction of the possibilities that the game system and cards provide. So... This might be the game that we've heard of for quite some time that was coming out from Feld, which is going to be his big, grand, I don't know, the Magnus Opus, but it's going to be a big game. It's a civilization yeah. game, which we were just talking about. So Feld's getting involved, man. Yeah, yeah. And like some of the comments and some of the, the forums here, they're talking about like he's saying it's his, his heaviest game. This is what I'm saying. It's something like 36 actions plus some like variability and upgradable actions. So like, you're gonna have a huge menu of things to do on par with like a one of the heavier Uwe Rosenberg games. Um, I'm really excited for this. I I don't know that I've been super excited for any Feld games in a little while, but his best games are still among my favorite games. So mm. I'm psyched for this. It's coming from Deep Print Games too, which they don't go to Kickstarter or haven't historically. Uh, and in the U.S., often they come through Capstone, which is another good company that doesn't go to Kickstarter. So. I would be very excited if this is not I mean it's it doesn't look to be a queen game so it's not going to be some ridiculous overpriced thing on Kickstarter which is great. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to see him he's coming back and doing something new and fresh and not just another city game that's typically not as good as his originals. Yeah. Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal 
Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, those are the games that we're looking forward to. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table this week, and we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those are games that are a play and you should sit down and enjoy them, those games are a dodge and you should avoid them. Or if those games are dreaded burn and you should burn them at all costs. Anthony, what do you have up first this week? All right. I played Number Drop. I played two things. This one will be quick, and then I'll talk okay. about the other one. So Number Drop is a game that AEG uh, provided to us as a review copy at Gen Con. Uh, we did not get a chance to play it at Gen Con like the other AEG games. I brought it home. I have now played it. It is very much a Tetris-style game. You have the polyominoes or the tetrominoes because they are actually a, almost all the four-piece the four um, puzzle things. And it's a roll and write. So on your turn, you're going to roll five dice. Um, one of them has a shape on it. The other four have numbers. You're going to organize those thing, the numbers into the shape, and then you're going to place them on your personal sheet. That's basically it. There are certain components or actions that you can take that will then allow you to drop stuff on other people, like Tetris. Uh, there's a solo mode as well where you don't drop stuff on other people, but you can have a countdown timer that tells you how long you have to fill up your grid. Every row that you complete gives you bonus points. And then you're trying to get different groupings of the same number as you drop them. So because the dice have numbers on them, when you draw them on your sheet, they're going to have numbers. You're trying to get runs of certain numbers of, of like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, or groups of them. Like, here's six fives. Uh, the game seems like it should be good, right? It's it's tetris it's rolling right, things are dropping. But then it becomes like this, I don't know, like this convoluted... Uh, system where you're trying to like figure out the math of where the numbers are going to go and the shapes can mess you up and then you're not really playing tetris you're just trying to match the numbers up which is it's not contrived because all game mechanics are contrived but it doesn't really fit the theme effectively um i found it to be cumbersome and if you roll poorly number wise like with what you're trying to build towards it just messes you up and that's not fun you can't actually overcome the numbers because there's nothing to do with them if they're not the ones you can use for multiple rolls in a row. A good roll and write will give you something to do with everything that you roll, and maybe it's the mo not the most efficient thing in the end, but you're still working towards something in some form or another. Um, or some way to mitigate those rolls and change your dice or something, right? So it doesn't really give you as much of that as other games do. The solo mode was fine, but because it has the interactivity, they had to remove elements of the game. And I like roll and write solo because it is basically the game you're going for a high score. That's not what this is. So this is a pretty solid dodge <laughs> number drop. 
I don't recommend it as a roll and write. And I know some people will see it and they're like, ooh, Tetris stuff. And I would say just go find Blockus or even the Tetris game, which is at Target, which is not even great, but it's better than this. So uh, Number Drop, not a good game. It's not the worst thing ever. It's not a burn necessarily. It's just, it's nothing. Blech. So There you go. Uh, do not recommend this. Um, the other game, though, that I played that I had a lot more fun with, which you already mentioned, was the Terraforming Mars, the dice game. Yes. So we we did our review of this uh, from Gen Con because we played it several times there with Jacob Brixelius. And, yeah, and buddy. Brothers. Um, and I got a chance to play it solo. So I wanted to talk about the solo mode. Um, like I mentioned for regular Terraforming Mars, the thing I like about these games is that the solo mode there are already objectives in the game, right? The The thing about Terraforming Mars that I love is that there are shared objectives that you all work towards. They're not victory conditions. They're just things you're trying to accomplish. And then whoever is most efficient in building up their business, basically, while those things are being done, wins the game. When you're playing solo, you have to be both efficient and complete those objectives. So in the base game, you have to complete all three of them. And then as you add in expansions, you adjust that accordingly in the dice game it's it's more or less the same thing right so in the solo game you're going to uh still have the bonus cards out you'll get three of them over the course of the game you'll start the game with one of them kind of gives you a boost at the start and then you'll get one at the each of the other two scoring um thresholds that you were going to get uh and then as you work your way through the game milestones will come off so as when you reach a certain point level, there are dots on the on the map. You remove certain milestones from the board. So it's like somebody has completed them. Uh, and that's basically it, right? It, everything else, you're just playing the game. What's interesting, though, is that you get 50 turns even, which seems like a lot. But some terms in, turns in this game, you just roll a bunch of dice. You don't actually do anything. You just roll dice multiple times. So... If you've only played it multiplayer, you don't really realize how many turns are in this 45-minute game. I think some of our games must have had 75 turns. Because when I got to the end of 50 turns the first time I tried this, I'm like, wow, I got like two-thirds of the way there. I did not get that much done. <laughs> um, and one of the things I love about Terraforming Mars solo games, just in general, any of the three of them, is that you have to build your engine right, to be able to efficiently complete these different objectives. You can't just like throw asteroids out and you know knock out a bunch of stuff. That's that's a great way to score points and build up your income in like the multiplayer game. But in the solo game, it's not efficient because then you're broke and you lose several turns and you have a limited number of turns to complete your objectives. The same is true here. Like you need to build up some efficiency in production of your dice, but not so much efficiency because you're not going to get an infinite number of turns. So you have to be efficient both up front and on the back end. And I was not for several turns. And that made me happy because it means the game is challenging. Um, and I did eventually beat it. Um, I can't remember which corporation it was. It was something that gave me extra plant dice. But that's the thing that is the most fun for me. It's like finding a way to beat it with each of these corporations and then going to the next one. And now I need to beat it with this one, right? And that's why I played the original game 100 times solo, 200 times solo. because I just wanted to beat it with every single one. Um, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we talked about it before. Terraforming Mars, the dice game, is a clever, efficient, quick 
re-implementation of the terraforming Mars formula, um, where the dice are not overtly introducing chance, but just a little bit in terms of how the resources are, are spent. And the the solo version gives me all the same vibes as the the full version, but again in 40 minutes. And it's easy to break down and reset. And I don't play this game as much as I used to or would love, the the original because it does take a long time to set up now and there's a lot of stuff and I have to sort the cards. Having this nice, quick, short, accessible version really kind of opens it up a little bit more. So Terraform Mar- Terraforming Mars, the dice game, uh, is just as good solo as it was multiplayer. Wow. So it's a solo buy as much as it was a multiplayer buy. Um, highly recommended. And I'm happy I have my copy now so I can play it as much as I want. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yay for good games! That's Boo great! for bad games! <laughs> you mean you don't need an Automa times 10 for this? No! You just play the game! <laughs> That's why it's brilliant! You just play the game, and then they give you a threshold, or like, did you reach your goal by the threshold? No, then you lose! Awesome! I love that! <laughs> yeah, that's the way it should be. And again... I think you mentioned this with the roll and write, and I know this is a particular, you know, thorn in your side. When you play a game, especially when it's a dice game or any game that's the dice game, where the the dice, the roll of the dice are so essential to not just the success, but also for like any kind of game movement or playability, right? You roll, you roll a bad hand and you have nothing and like, well, what can you do? I can do nothing. So it's great that the actual dice, especially in the solo mode, actually do a thing. And yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. Like it's like it's not like, oh, there's a wild die that you exactly roll, which is what happens in number drop, or oh, you could sometimes change this thing if you spend this one resource that you have. It's like, no, you have infinite variability and control over that variability. In a clever and interesting way, it's like how Feld uses dice in his games, yes. or Simone Luciani, which we'll talk about. What? Soon. <laughs> it's it's not meant to be introduce luck into the game. It's meant to just force you to be more efficient with the resources you have, which yeah. I love. Well, a lot of times in Euro games, when dice get involved, usually that's a sign or a, a red flag, and then you have people have to be talked down. And like, while there's ways yeah. to mitigate the dice, and when they say that. I'm always like, that's good, but also I hate it because mm-hmm. if it's a mechanic in the game that's like essential to success, why does why does the roll, why does the randomness have to be mitigated, right? Like you purposely chose to add dice, so let dice be dice. And when you add mitigation, it just or the possibility of mitigation, it's kind of like fine, but it's also like, hey, we couldn't think of anything else. So when a dice game comes out, especially something like Terraforming Mars, which is such a, a big game for so many of us, and the dice version works, that's great. That's great. Because yeah. again, even Terraforming Mars, which I love, how many times have we had a handful of cards that we can't build? And we're yeah. just like, what are you doing this turn? Uh, I'm going to buy a thing, maybe? And that's it. And I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that still happens in the dice game because it's it's still a big deck of cards. But yes. It, you do have more options. You do have more var- variability because of it. Sure. I dig it. And I, I know when this first was up on Kickstarter, we were hesitant. But yes. they pulled it off. Nice. You have to pick it up now. <laughs> yeah, you do. 
All right. Well, a game that I recently got from Kickstarter, and I know you got your Kickstarter package as well. I think you got yours before mine, is Moon, a pick and pass base building game for one to five players. So here's the thing. I appreciate the fact that we don't want to say that it's a drafting game. It's a drafting game. <laughs> so <laughs> No, it's pick and pass. Pick and pass right? doesn't really work. I get it. I love you guys <laughs> to Sinister Fish, but like, no. Not stop trying to trying to make up that you're doing a thing that's already been done. Like, no, we're not doing that. Second, one to five players. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bad sinister fish. No five players in this game. Okay. You make brilliant small games. Stop, stop trying to do more things. Just do it right. So, Moon is all about the moon. Now, unlike terraforming Mars, you're not terraforming the moon. What you're what you're doing is you're one of the leaders of a settlement on the moon, and you are trying to attract um, expeditions to the moon. So you are setting up buildings and exciting different settlements and attractions so that people want to come to your base and you get the most fame and fortune because again it's it's a euro game. So victory points, my friend, victory points. It doesn't matter what type, but victory points. So mm-hmm. create a settlement, do a lot of cool stuff, have a lot of cool stuff there for people to visit and obviously because you're on the moon, resources are hard to come by. So you will have to be able to generate those resources as well. Now let me say from the start, this game you know <laughs> Does does play a lot like Seven Wonders. I think that's important to say for the start. There is a little worker placement, which I'll talk about in a minute. Very, very little worker placement, or I should say rover placement. And there is an element of key flower. And again, I'll talk about that. So if you're wondering, just generally giving giving you an audio picture here of like what is it's seven wonders, it's a little bit of key flower. And that's, you know, that's that's pretty much the game, so to speak. So let's let's talk about the game itself. It's it's primarily a game about cards that you're putting on the table to score victory points. There is Automa, which I, I'll talk about at the very end, but it's a beautiful production. Once again, it's their small box production, just like streets, just like village, villagers, villagers. And primarily the game is all about building up the right production buildings in order to build up the flags that you need for like the really fancy buildings to draw attention again like terraforming mars a little bit it does have those kind of achievement goals that are out there on the board so everyone's rushing to meet those particular conditions at the start of the game kind of like with the prelude model you're going to get a settlement that settlement will produce resources so throughout the game you're building up buildings just like terraforming mars the dice game anthony where the cards are kind of splayed out. So the round starts, you take the resources based on the cards. So you'll generate resources throughout the whole game. Now, once that production pass, production phase is passed, then it's construction. This is the uh, drafting. I'm going to say drafting. I'm going to go with drafting here, people. I'm sorry. I'm going with drafting <laughs> here. This is a drafting mechanic. So you have your hand of cards. And there's also a special card in there, which everyone gets a special card, and that will give you an opportunity. And the special cards are different, so this is a little different than Seven Wonders. There's a special card here. 
and that will give you the opportunity to do a unique thing. We've seen that in like other games that let you do that, like Citadels and such like that. But it'll let you do a special thing. You're building, you're building, you're putting the cards out, you're you're matching the the resources that needed on the card. Sometimes it's actual uh resources, you know, where it could be like water or it could be energy as such. But primarily you want to make sure that you have the flags that are needed in the game because again, it's like a terraforming Mars Seven Wonders game. You have to have the resources. So you collect the resources, you construct the you construct the buildings throughout, and then once you do that, you primarily come to the scoring point. Of course, you can discard a card, a la Terraforming Mars a little bit, where you get rid of the card and it'll give you resources. Or I guess Earth. Earth does that too, where you discard the card and you get like dirt, and that scores you points as well. But basically, you're passing cards. The cards are cute. The artwork's cute. If you've seen streets or if you've seen villagers, you know what you're in for. But there's things like a food truck, a taco food truck on uh, on the moon. And that's awesome. And the I would say the graphic design is okay. Uh, the artwork, everything kind of fits the, the, the requirements, the resources. Where the game really falls down, and this is like the major part problem with the game is because it's card drafting and because there are goals that everyone's shooting for you really want to know what everyone's doing and what everyone has in their tableau there's multiple fonts and a lot of times the fonts are like gray on white uh or the 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 font is very small it is very hard to read other people at the table I love Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders is great. Seven Wonders is one of my favorite games of all time. When you put those cards out, you almost always know exactly, thanks to the iconography in that game, exactly what everyone else is doing, what they're going for, what they're building. Here, you have to almost stop after every drafting phase to go, what was that you placed? Okay, what does it have available? What resources? Because the other part of the game is there is a worker placement part. You have rovers. At the start of the game, you get a couple of rovers. And what you're able to do, like key, key flower, is if your attractions or your resource buildings are attractive enough, I might decide to take my rover over to your settlement, drop my rover there, and get the resources from that particular card. Now, that means that the next round, you keep my rovers so you can use them on other people's cards. Now, at the beginning of the game, this is essential. You need to do this. And I really love this mechanic because if you've ever played a game where you're one coin or one resource away, this kind of solves that. But again, it's like Seven Wonders where you could pay other players to utilize their resources. It's a fun mechanic, and it's also a tiebreaker based upon the goals. So throughout the game, you're going to put the cards together. You're going to get the resources. You're going to try to get different types of buildings in order to match the different special uh, awards, milestones. The game scores three times. There are three particular ages here. They're all essential as far as scoring points are concerned. One's not necessarily better than the other, but obviously you get to the end and whoever scores the most points is the winner. The cards have a lot of different abilities. The graphic design, again, is good. The text is a nightmare, especially if you're playing with the larger player count. There is also an opportunity I didn't play the expansion. There's a Valkyrie expansion. It's the one thing I didn't play with, so I will come back and let you know if the game is better with the Valkyrie expansion. Um, but primarily, 
the cards that you draft are easy to understand in your hand, easy to play, and the rovers are a nice little touch to the game. The expedition cards give you a bonus action that's new, different, and fun. I've seen it in some other games a little bit, but it's new, different, and fun here. I like that a lot. Um, the production's great. The wooden pieces are great. The rovers are great. Again, the reputation cards are have a lot of choices to put out there. And it takes longer than Seven Wonders, even though in some ways it's a little simpler than Seven Wonders as far as strategy is concerned. It doesn't take as long as Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars has like, that is a long game. Uh, depending on the player count and the the AP, and there can be a lot of AP in this game because again, it's a relatively new game. And of course, anytime you're doing card drafting over different errors, you're not really sure later on what comes out that might benefit you early. So I'd recommend letting players look through the cards just so they can get a sense of what comes out later or as at least a possibility what might come out. And as you get more familiar with the game, you can build strategies that might help you uh, win later on. Uh, there's a solo mode called GURPS, and it's basically a Dalek or a legally distinct mm. Dalek in the game. Nice. Uh, the solo mode's really a lot of fun, Anthony. I, th- I think you'll like it. It is an automa, but basically you get to play your own game, and then the automa is just scoring points and messing with you in a little, just a little bit. But it's not an automa that got in the way of me just doing what I wanted to do primarily and just enjoying the game. So, uh, Moon, it's it's a buy. It's it's another buy. Again, graphic design is a problem as far as the text is concerned. Number of players at the table is a problem. It plays well solo. I wouldn't say it's great solo. I'll leave that to the solo players out there, Anthony. But it, it plays mm-hmm. well solo. It's good to play the multiplayer game before you play the solo because the solo expects that you know certain things. But the solo plays well. It doesn't get in your way. That's what I like for a solo. Do your own thing. I'll do my own thing. We'll come back later. As far as the player count is concerned, I would say two to three players. I don't recommend the game of four or five players. Uh, I think if you... I always want to play a drafting game at the higher player count possible. So this could be a knock against it. It just takes too long. The drafting takes too long. Deciding where to put the rovers because you have to be able to read everyone's card to see as far as what they get or what they don't get, blocking certain areas and such, that really slowed the game down a lot. So solo, excellent. Two, three players, very good. Four or five players, I do not recommend unless you just have the time and the patience. But I think it does overstay its welcome. Five players, don't play five players. It's just too much to look at. Four players, uh, two to three. It's a two to three player game. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, That's Moon. It's, It's a buy. Awesome. I it's still sitting on my table downstairs. I got to get this one done. Yeah, I think I think run through the solo there once once you just play a little multi-hand and I think you're good for it. But Wait. it's not revolutionary. It's not there's nothing there that you're going to be like, "Oh." It's like, "Oh, that's nice. I like that." That's <laughs> that's fine. It did a thing. Yeah. That's kind of what I want from these games though, so I'm happy with that. Yeah. All right. Now on to our feature review. Our feature review this week is the best of Simone Luciani. So one of the best, one of our favorites, I should say one of our favorites modern board game designers out there. Anthony, you and I have played so many of his games. I think, I don't know who was first. I think it might have been you. 
I think it might have been you who discovered him first, started playing his games. I I feel like maybe, but I also feel like our old buddy Drew might have dragged us to the table to play Zolkin. Oh, and that's that right. And how we discovered Luciani. We didn't know who he was then because that was like the first game. Yeah, I think um, even going back, I might have to credit Dave, our buddy Dave from way back when. Because I think I did play Zulkin. Wait, I keep forgetting that he did Zulkin. <laughs> I know. It's on our list. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, jeez. He did Zulkin. Yeah. 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 It, and then after that, another game that we'll talk about you know, up on our list um, kind of introduced me more actively to. And that was, you know, we were doing the podcast, knowing who designers were. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, it's. Until we do one of these lists, it's often hard to know like how much of a hot streak someone has been on. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, we left a couple games off the list. They're not bad games. They're just not as good as these 10 games. Like there were no bad games. Now, there are some games on there that are like children's games, a little bit lighter things that I don't think really fall into our purview. Um, So I'm sure there are games that Simone Luciani has worked on that did not make our list that are either older or you know for kids you know like jungle race or pink these are not things that we have played um but for the most like the big releases the euros very solid all the way across the board yeah we played them all and i think he's got hit after hit some better than others which we'll talk about in a second but uh just a fantastic collection like we said zulkin 2012 iconic modern day classic i don't think anyone would argue with that and then it took about three some odd years until his next big Euro came out. So once we were start, I think 2012 Zulkin was a year before we got started with the podcast. But yeah, again, fantastic game, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. All right, Anthony. So that leads us to the best of the best, the top 10, because 10 is the best because 10. <laughs> so <laughs> 10 people, it's, it's, 10, because we've all decided yeah. 10 is the best. The internet gods love them a 10. That's right. So. <laughs> Ones and zeros. I, I think it's just a binary thing. I think it, it's oh, sneaking in. Uh-huh. I never thought of that. Ah. Let's see, that's the, the AI again, right? I, for one, I welcome our uh, computer overlords. Just saying. Turchy. Yeah, Turchy is doing it. <laughs> All right. Start- we're we're, we're going to start this rumor that David Turchy is an AI bot. It's going to get us in trouble. I don't think it's a rumor. I think it's true of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. All right, so we're on 10, right? That's what we're doing? We're doing 10. We're doing 10. We're doing ones and zeros, man. All right. Number 10 is Newton. Newton came out in 2018. Uh, Simone Luciani designed it with Nestor Mangone and came from Cranio Creations. And then over here in the States, it was Simon. I know that because I was at Gen Con when they released it and I got in line and got a copy. So uh, Newton is a game where you play like scholars traveling about Europe and collecting various bits of knowledge and placing it into your personal library. The main reason this game is so fun, though, is the card mechanic. So you have these cards that you will play to your table, and then based on the symbol that's on it, you'll take that action, but every other instance of that symbol on the table will enhance that action. And every round, you will add permanent uh, cards to the bottom of that uh, tableau. Plus, there's other ways to upgrade it. So effectively, it's like, this kind of steamrolling action things as the game goes on, your actions become more powerful. So you have to plan for that early. The theme is kind of pasted on. Sure. More than kind of it's, it's pretty pasted on. Yeah. Um, Mechanically. I really enjoy it. And it is a brief breezy Euro. 
that it's just that you can kind of get through the puzzle and have fun with it. It's not it's not his or their best design by any means because of how pasted on the theme is and because you have like these four different locations where you're going to do various random things. Some of the expansions fix this a little bit, but none of them really bring it up to the level of like the other games we're going to get to mm. later on the list. But it's still good. It's it's always been a play, I think, for both of us. Sure. It's just not like it's not that super buy. Absolutely. Well, number nine is one of his most recent releases. This is Darwin's Journey. You get to retrace Darwin's journey to the Galapagos Islands' worker placement adventure. So I think the challenges that he has here, or what he's known best for, is moving people on maps. So yeah. if you if you want a board game that is a map and you move people around on it, God designer for you. And I think Darwin's Journey is the biggest version of this. I won't say it's the best version because it's number nine, but it's the biggest version, especially with the expansion. I picked up all the stuff through the Kickstarter. And this is all about the scientific exploration that you as a researcher goes through along with Darwin to identify, document, and study all of these unique creatures on the Galapagos Islands. So you are sending your researchers off to do different things, whether it's uh, have people travel the islands to to get information, to move your ship, to do like in-depth research. But primarily the thing that really does, like that's new and different is upgrading your meeples. And as they become academically smarter with all these little seals that you put on the board, then they can activate more powerful actions because they have more colors assigned to them. That allows them to do special actions on the board that are typically randomized when they're put out or more powerful actions of the move, the research, and and the explorer actions. And then as you build up your research, you build up your documentation of all these creatures, there's a scientific track where, depending on how things line up, points are scored. And of course, there is a map where you're moving your ship and your explorers, which is good, but can get like the graphic design, the artwork kind of gets in the way. It it's it's barely functional. Now that being said, the expansion does make this a good game. Without the expansion, and I mean all the expansions, the Darwin, you have to throw everything in the kitchen sink and you're like, okay, it's a good game now. But the base game lacks a lot of the punch that the expansion brings to it by a lot so uh good game and our number nine darwin's journey all right number eight on the list is another relatively recent release to let them uh this came from board and dice with co-designer daniela tashini and it it kind of got overlooked i feel like because it was number five or six in the t series of games from board and dice like they really got super excited about their little gimmick and people got kind of tired of it. So um, it, it kind of fell into that groove. People were like, Oh, it's another one of these. And I, I, at least that's what I've heard from people I've talked to about the game. We ended up liking this game quite a bit when we got a chance to play it last year. And it is, again, you're moving people around on a map. You are a merchant in Renaissance era Europe, and you're moving around to these different locations and helping build cathedrals and trading goods and participating in these fairs. And one of the main mechanics is you have like this dice uh, mechanism. So you roll these dice at the beginning of the round, and then you can draft them out and use them to take different actions. So they allow you to gain resources and perform actions 
the higher the die roll, the lower one other half of that action will be. So if you want to balance where you get a good number of resources and a good number of actions, you want like a three or a four. If you want a ton of resources, you might take a six, but then you only get the one action. So that's a really cool mechanism yes. that forces you to really think about what you're doing mm. um, with every die you take, because you can't just like stockpile goods because you're not getting enough actions to use all of them. And you can't take a bunch of actions because you don't have enough resources. So uh, this is a very clever game. I hope that it gets more attention uh, in the future. I think we both really enjoyed this when we played it mm-hmm. uh, last year. And uh, yeah, that's number eight on the list to let them. Yeah, I think I had just a little problem with the am- amount of chits in that game. Yeah. It was piles. It was a little fiddly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to jump back for a second, Darwin's Journey, I should also mention, we, we talked about um, Luciani's kind of partnership with a lot of his games. Um, Nestor Manjone, uh for Darwin's Journey. He partnered up with them on that. And now jumping to, I guess we're, we're looking at number seven, Grand Austria Hotel. Uh, with Geely. So another great partnership, another great game, and recent gigantic kind of expansion that came out, Let's Waltz. So it's all about serving customers and tourists and in the Viennese modern age. So you are a waiter, you are the chef, you are the maitre d', you are managing the hotel and you are bringing different people to the table to meet their service. Uh, a number of different resources are in play here. So you're feeding them coffee and cake. And they enjoy the meal so well. These fantastic, wonderful, affluent people that they give you a lot of actions and a lot of resources. And then you try to put them up for the night in the hotel, which is a whole different game mechanic where you're trying to match up the color of the guest. With the hotel room, you're trying to calculate and manage the cost because you're trying to get them in, close the door, and then it has this wonderful, and we don't say this a lot, it has this wonderful dice mechanic where you roll a <laughs> two handfuls of dice, and based on how the pips roll out, those are the op- the available actions you could take that round. So from one to six those get rolled out and maybe allows you to hire more employees, get more money, get more resources. And that's a lot of fun. It does have this weird kind of, you want to pass kind of mechanic. And if you're playing with the full number of people, it does get a little odd, but the, the expansion of let's waltz brings in a lot more module expansion gameplay here. And it really kind of tightens the game up while at the same time, offering a lot of opportunities to score points. So this is, point scoring heaven here uh great production great fun grand Austria hotel luciani and julie again all right uh number six on the list is council of four uh with luciani made once again with daniela tachini this is a game that came out in uh 2015 and the original version was through cranio directly and it wasn't really distributed in the u.s i don't remember how i got my copy it was from europe though so it it later was re-released by Simon with big gaudy looking miniatures. <laughs> I talk about this on my most recent Patreon bonus episode because this game is in my top 100 and I love the original Crania with the meeples and I hate the gaudy plastic version of it. Um, but the gaudy plastic version of it is the one you can find. So if you don't mind the big chunky miniatures, go for it. 
in this game, though, you are moving around the countryside and engaging with these three kingdoms, right? And each of these kingdoms has a council of nobles that you're trying to basically get to do what you want so you can place your home, your trading post houses, I forgot exactly what they're called, into locations on the map. The map is broken up into three different sections, and there's also different geographical types. The core mechanism is a little bit ticket to ride, like you're building routes and you're draft, you're pulling up cards and then spending them to match the different noble types that are in each of these councils. Uh, but the thing that really makes the game interesting is that when you place a house out there, every emporium, there you go, that's the word I'm looking for. When you place an emporium out there, everyone that's connected to it, as long as they're all adjacent, and not just one, any ones that are adjacent in a chain, you activate all of them. You get all those bonuses. Um, so it builds over the course of the game, and by the end, you're like, I'm getting so much stuff. It's really fun. So Council of Four is still available. Uh, it's it's one of the lighter games I think Luciani has worked on in recent years, at least at that like midweight Euro level. Um, and that is our number six game, Council of Four. Our number five game is Marco Polo 2 in the service of the con. This time, Luciani is with Tashini because they do good stuff. So without spoiling where the Voyages of Marco Polo is on the list, let's just say if you enjoyed that game, but what you really enjoyed about that game was the travel part of that game. Again, traveling on maps. See? See a theme's kind of a, coming out here? This is the game for you. So the journey of Marco Polo continues here because he made it all the way uh, to Beijing. And now in the service of Khan, you are going through uh, his vast empire to trade a wealth of resources and to score victory points because victory points are fame. So <laughs> if only he can score victory points in life. So it's very, very much based on the voyages of Marco Polo. There is jade in this game, so another resource comes into play. You have new characters that come and play, and the map is really expanded. And, 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 and that's really where the game kind of really just pops, because you need to travel the map to get a lot of different resources, to get a lot of different symbols, to score points throughout the game. It is a dynamic... I, I don't know if I would say it's dynamically different than The Voyages of Marco Polo, but it definitely emphasizes the travel mechanic. And that's a lot of fun. It's a different way to play an excellent game. So the Marco Polo 2 in the service of the con is our number five. All right. Moving up to number four, we have Barrage, co-designed with Tommaso Batista. Barrage is the, the heaviest game uh, that Simone Luciani has worked on so far. And it is a game in which you are trying to pull power from these various different hydroelectric dams that you'd be placing out onto the main map um, to facilitate the various industrial actions that you are taking. It's a dystopian world, so it's kind of not cyberpunk or not, sorry, not cyberpunk, but not not steampunkish necessarily. It's like the 1930s, not the 1800s, but kind of that vibe, right? An alternate history where power is different and it does different things and allows more advanced things. Um, the two things the game is most known for is you have this wheel in which you're going to place your different excavators and machines that take actions. So every action has a certain number of machines you need to play. You place them in the thing and you turn it. 
those things are now unavailable until the wheel comes back around, which can be a certain number of turns or a certain number of actions. The other thing is how cutthroat the board is. Because when you place out dam or the hydroelectric dams or the power structures or whatever it might be, the water needs to flow to them. Somebody else can redirect that water by building above you or beside you or near you or in some other way, right? Either making things more expensive or moving in a direction that hurts you and makes it so that your the things that you built are now useless. So there's a little bit, bit of push your luck. There's a whole lot of being mean <laughs> and pushing people out of the way here. Highly, highly interactive hero with a very deeply uh, mathematical economic um, ex- exposure to it. I was deeply surprised by this game when it came out because Luciani's games were tend to be a little more medium weight. Um, there is actually a Kickstarter up now for more maps for this. There's a lot of different variants and expansions for how to play it. It's also on Board Game Arena. Barrage is our number four. Our number three is Zulkin, the Mayan calendar. Uh, this time back with Tashini. This is, again, one of the modern day classics of board gaming. And in particular because he does this mechanic where they do this mechanic so great that no one else does. It's a worker displacement mechanic. So primarily what you're dealing with before I get into the theme and everything else, the mechanics of this game is so interesting because there are five different temples and they're represented by these wheels that have, you know, points out that as they turn, those points uh, point to certain resources or actions or abilities that you're able to take. So you place your worker, your meeple out, your, your cylinder in the wheel and those five wheels, along with the main big wheel that's holding all the maze, turn. And as they turn, you're waiting for your opportunity to take your workers back, to say, your workers, you're in the right spot, take as many of that resource as you can and come back. So it might be the Crystal Skulls, it might be Maze, it might be Coco, it might be a number of different things, special abilities, technologies you could bring back. And it's such a dynamic mechanic. It's so tight and interesting and other people are jockeying for position. And then when do you pull off your workers? Because the longer they go, typically the the better stuff that they're going to get, but you're going to run out of workers. The board also has technology tracks that need resources in order to get them. And it has three temple tracks, which you're going to score typically the vast majority of your points. This game also has a small expansion that allows you to have like, it's basically like a prelude from Terraforming Mars, where everyone has a little asymmetry started in the game. But primarily, Zulk in the Mind Calendar, hopefully you had the opportunity to play it. It's a dynamic, really dynamic worker placement game. The different Mayan tribes coming together, uh, working together, pulling up resources, generating resources for other actions throughout the game. It's just, it's a brilliant work of art. I mean, if you ever see the, the pieces, and we're talking about 2012, the pieces in the game, the resources in the game, the dials in the game, and the paint job that people have given it, just fantastic. Zulkin. The Mayan Calendar is our number three. All right. Uh, number two on the list is Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Uh, this is designed with Flaminia Brasini and Virginio Gili. And it is not the most challenging or difficult. Um, we talked about Barrage, but can be one of those tightest games resource-wise. I know several people who don't like it because of how tight and difficult it is to accomplish your goals. But that's the reason the game is so good is because it forces you to think economically 
and uh, efficiently about everything you do. In the game, you have four towers with different uh, cards representing different types of individuals that you can add to your tableau. And you will place your workers into those locations to purchase them and add them to your tableau. You can then activate certain rows to produce or consume. Um, the value of your workers, though, so what you can do with them that doesn't require additional money or resources, is based on dice that are rolled at the beginning of every round for everybody. So those are shared numbers. Everybody's workers are the same numbers every round. And that makes the game so interesting because you always know what everybody has and you know if somebody's used their powerful worker already or if they're waiting to, 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 to use it for later. Um, this game, on its own, without any expansions, was always fantastic. And then they added more content with like the leader's expansion, the auction mechanic at the beginning of the game to kind of determine how you start and the asymmetry that goes with that. Um, a lot of the only bad thing that came out for this game was a big old deck of take that cards <laughs> that nobody really enjoys. Uh, but Lorenzo Il Magnifico is fantastic. If you buy, I believe the newest version, and it will be labeled on the box, comes with those expansion materials sure. in the box. So you can pick that up and get all the good stuff with it. That is our number two. Just avoid the video game version. Oh, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, we both packed it. Yeah, just stay away from that. Yeah. All right. Our number one game is from Luciani and Tashini, The Voyages of Marco Polo. In 1271, a 17-year-old Marco Polo started on a journey to China with his father and older brother after a long and grueling journey that led through Jerusalem and Mesopotamia, and over the Silk Road, they reached the court of Kublai Khan in 1275. You have the opportunity to play, you can play Marco Polo, but one of these historical characters from that time and age that has a special power that kind of breaks the game but super breaks the game <laughs> in a way that actually works because every power <laughs> kind of breaks the game. Now we have been covering board games for a very long time and we love asymmetry. We love those special actions and abilities and powers and stuff like that. This game goes just right in your face and go, Hey, you know, my games, you like a map. You like to travel on a map. You like to get resources, trade for other resources contract completion, travel, awesome, right? You love that. I'm going to break the game with these special abilities. And it works. And it works equally somehow. I don't know how they did it. It's amazing. It's simple and fun enough and streamlined that you could take a lot of, like, you know, Euro board gamers that are on the gateway side, bring them to this game, they'll get it, they'll enjoy it, and on the hard, heavy, crunchy side of the gamers, they'll do the best at this game as well. So it's like, it's simple learn, it's streamlined, it's smart, it's fun, and it has a level of complexity that just grows over time. It has an amazing expansion that really opens the game up, it offers you a lot of opportunities, but the game itself is just a brilliant and fun, fun, just a fun masterpiece. Yeah, this is the one of this list that I've played the most, I think. And I continue to regularly play it. I play it online. I play anytime anybody's up for it. Occasionally, I'll even set it up and just play it by myself. There is no solo mode for this, but you can multi-hand it. Uh, it's, it's another one where everything's very tight, and you have to think very efficiently and creatively about how to get things done. And with the asymmetry on top of that, it's always a little bit different. Yes. Like, your solution is not the same as my solution. And I love that in games. So 
So this is a fantastic one. Yeah, it's definitely more on the contract completion than Marco Polo 2, which is more travel. You could certainly travel in this version and win, but it's definitely more on the contract completion. Right. So there you go. The best of Simone Luciani and friends who have helped him bring these fantastic games to life. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to play all of these games. If not, you should certainly absolutely check them out. They're fun, fantastic games that would bring a lot of gamers to the table. All right, everyone. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at a giant mapful table, which we just wander around and we do things, usually with camels. Lots of camels. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.